Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the message and music we have heard this evening. We thank you, God, for the words that we've sung to you. And we pray now, as we open your word, that our hearts will be open. God, certainly there's something that you want every one of us to do tonight with what we hear. Give us the courage and the wisdom to do it. And it's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. How many of you remember learning division in school? Tennessee, we learned it in the 11th grade. Here, I think it's earlier. Let's test your skills. Four divided by two is what? Hey, pretty good, pretty good. We got some math scholars in here. That's, uh, that's good division, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's part of addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. It's part of mathematics. I saw this show where this guy was like 5'5", five, five, and he weighed 300 pounds, and he divided his weight in half over a year. He, he got down to 150. That's good division, isn't it? Yes, it is. That's that's good division. But, you know, there is bad division, too. And unfortunately, tonight, we're going to talk about bad division. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we started our series last Sunday night in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And I titled this series, From Corinth with Love, sort of, after a movie... Uh, old movie from Russia with love, a James Bond spy movie, because these are words from Corinth to us, and they're kind of loving, but they're kind of, uh, well, it's not bad to have your helmet on when you read this book, because it hits to the heart, and it's, it's very direct. Corinth was a very interesting city. It was uh, probably the second biggest city in the Roman Empire at this time. It was very metropolitan. It was about 50 miles. If you were to look at a map and you get home of Athens, about 50 miles west of where Athens sits today. It sat on a seaport, and it was on a major uh, area where roads converged. So it was a major trade area, very educated people, uh, very cosmopolitan people, and very vile, very very uh, free-spirited, morally, might be a politically correct way of saying it. Paul had started a church there, and now he is riding back to them from Ephesus. It's about 54 A.D., 20 years or so after the resurrection of Christ, and he's writing back to them after hearing some pretty rough reports, and he's, uh, he's got some words, I believe, that are for certainly for churches of uh, that era, but for churches for today also. And tonight we're going to talk about one of the big problems in Corinth, one of the fundamental problems, and it's a problem everywhere. A few weeks from now on Sunday morning, I'm going to preach out of 1 Corinthians 3 on this same subject, but with a different flavor to it. But tonight I want to focus mainly on the church and on our Christian groups, but this is so, so important to get a hold of. And, And here's the big thought tonight. Divisions in the church, and in other key places, is so, so wrong. Division is so, so wrong. Now, let me say this. It's far too common also. In verses 10 and 11, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, 
In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I appeal to you. He was saying, I'm coming alongside you. I want to exhort you. I want to encourage you. I want you to hear what I am trying, fixing to try to communicate to you. Okay? A little emphasis on his part there. Not in my opinion that anywhere in the Bible needs emphasis, but he gives it from time to time. That all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. That word division or quarrel there literally means quarreling, or it means splits. It means that there's gaps forming in their church. And again, I think you can apply this to your youth group tonight. You can apply this to your Bible study group. You can connection group, your FCA group, or the BCM. And of course, I think the church is the mother of all those things. So it's certainly talking about the church body. That there's splits, there's schisms in your group. Now, it's interesting. He said, from Chloe's household. Some believe that Chloe was a very wealthy person who had some slaves or some servants that may have gone to Corinth from Ephesus, where Paul's writing, and came back with this report that there's trouble in the camp. Now, it's interesting. The word division there literally is the picture of taking a garment and tearing it. Now, Wearing a torn garment is not a good thing, correct? Unless you have a teenager who goes out and buys $100 worth a pair of pants with tears already in them, correct? I mean, you, you older people may or may not know this. That is the style, or it has been. Uh, it's kind of weird, isn't it, that you go and buy pants with holes in them, but that's the style. But most of the time, and everybody's covering their holes in their pants right now, But most of the time, at least back in the day, a torn garment was not a good thing, correct? It's the picture of a crack in the foundation. I was looking in my house recently, and I saw in the ceiling a little crack running. And you know, there's no way that's good, amen? I mean, there's no way that's not going to cost my wife some money to get that fixed. That's, That's not a good thing. But the problem is, in Corinth as well as... Churches, probably every church since that day, there's been some types of divisions in the church body. There's been some type of quarrels uh, amongst Christians and religious groups. Uh, Again, you see this on a a micro level when you you get to some Bible study groups where people won't speak to each other. Or you you have an FCA or a youth group where you've got different divisions. Josh, the bigger it gets, the more likely that happens, correct? Uh, Or a BCM and certainly a church body. Why do you think in the South you can drive and you could probably uh, count a church Every 10 seconds driving. You think that's because of unity in the church as a whole? Probably not. Probably not. And I'm not trying to be ugly, but I'm being honest with you. Why do you think there's 500 denominations uh, in America? Get, go home tonight and Google Baptist. Uh, you think, well, there's Southern Baptist and one or two more. Oh, no, there's not. There is, a, there is climbing tree Baptist, laying on the ground Baptist. I'm making that up. But, I mean, there is all kinds of... But you know why? It's not because that's necessarily a good thing. If there were three different denominations and five churches in Ruston, that would probably make sense. 
But when you've got 400 churches and 84 denominations, you've got to scratch your head and say, at some point, somebody wasn't getting along. And that's the church as a whole. And I think primarily tonight he's talking about the church as a local body. Now you say, well, if it's so common, I mean, that's just normal and that's part of being human. Your mother taught you better than that years ago, correct? If everybody's doing it, doesn't make it right, correct? Did you know that drug abuse and alcohol abuse is common in America? That doesn't make it right, amen? Probably the average person's lazy. Would you agree with that? (laughs) That doesn't make it right, does it? So just because it's common doesn't make it right. In fact, I would tell you this, that divisions among Christians is just absolutely horribly wrong. Verse 10 and 11 and 13, I appeal to you, I encourage you, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest appeal you could make, that you agree you become one so there won't be divisions among you. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Look in verse 13. Is Christ divided? He's he's, he's laying out a rhetorical impossibility. No, he's not divided. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Folks, let me, let me tell you this. A church needs to be one. We need to have unity, not uniformity. Uniformity means we all look alike, we all sound alike, and we all smell alike. Now, I don't mind if we all smell alike, if that's smelling good, but uniformity is not what he's calling for. He's calling for a oneness of mind and purpose. A youth group needs to be unified. Correct? Wayne, have you, you've seen choirs where people couldn't get along. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? They sing parts well, but that's about it, don't they? Your, your youth group, your, your college group, your Bible study group, there needs to be unity among Christians. Guys, let me just pause and say this. If we, if we get everything right, but we get this wrong we're not going to get anything else right, okay? If this is wrong, everything else is going to, is going to be saturated by it, okay? Now, here's a misunderstanding, and I want to take two or three minutes to try to answer this. What about the passages that say Jesus came with a sword to bring division, not peace? You know some of those scriptures? Jesus came to... To, to come and it would bring division even among father and son and husband and wife. I, I have actually sat in battles before and had people use that as a, as a sword to say, I'm going to tear the church up and I'm doing it because Jesus would do it too. Let me tell you, that's exactly what those scriptures do not mean at all. You always have to interpret scripture by scripture. Okay? It makes sense? You can't pull it out and divorce it from the rest of it. Over and over and over and over and over through Scripture, it talks about unity, unity, unity. What was Jesus talking about? Here's what Jesus was talking about. When you make a decision to follow Christ, it is going to rub some people the wrong way. Now, in America, we don't see that near as much as other people do. 2,000 years ago, when a Jewish person became a Christian, man, it was terrible. 
I mean, and even today, even in America and some strict Orthodox Jewish households, if you become a Christian, you know what they're going to do? They're going to disown you. They may even have your funeral. You are dead to them. Folks, that's, that's causing some division in the family, isn't it? In Muslim countries today, you can die because you say you're going to follow Christ. In some countries, I, I read these reports regularly, where a mother or a father will turn their child over to the authorities in Islamic countries because they have converted to Christianity. You, you get in the picture of the sword Jesus was talking about? In America, we feel that on a much smaller basis. People may not like us as much anymore. People may not, even our Christian friends may not like us when we really get on fire for Jesus Christ because it's a separator. It takes us down a different and pure path. Tim Tebow, you know who Tim Tebow is. Listen, Tim Tebow has created great division in our country among athletics. Not because he's a jerk and a divider, it's just because he said, I love Jesus and I'm going to be proud of it. And he has caught, boy, there is a firestorm all around him. If you are alive and you've kept up with that. Is it because he's a divider? No, it's because he's boldly proclaimed Christ. That's what Jesus meant by that I will bring division because when you really live for Jesus, it, it does push people away from you sometimes, okay? So never forget that when Christ talks about unity, he means exactly what he says. I'll, I'll re- reference this later, but read John 17 when you get home tonight. Jesus' great prayer for us. He was praying that we would be unified. Disunity is so wrong. It's so wrong in a church. It's so wrong in a youth group. It's so wrong in a Bible study group. It's so wrong among deacons. It's, so, it's just so wrong, period. Now, let's try to answer a very important question. What causes disunity? What causes churches and Christians to schism, to, to tear? Well, well, certainly this is not all-inclusive, but this is a pretty good list in verse 12. What I mean is this. One, one, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. What is he saying here? Well, he's saying that in the church in Corinth that the people had picked their heroes. And they had picked the ones that they said they were following. Some say, I follow Paul. Who was this group? It was probably the Gentiles. Paul was the missionary to the Gentiles. It was the people who celebrated freedom in Christ. And probably looked down upon those who didn't celebrate the freedom in Christ. It says, some say, I follow Apollos. Who was Apollos? He was a very intelligent, educated, great orator. Corinth was a place that celebrated the intellect. It, 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 it celebrated great rhetoric. And so this was probably the intellectuals in the church who said, oh, we follow Apollos. He's very smart like us. He's got things figured out. You ever known people like this? We understand where you're coming from, but we just happen to be on a different level intellectually. We follow Apollos. It says some follow Cephas. This was probably... Uh, now, Cephas is who? He's Peter, right. Peter, this was probably the Jewish people. This was probably the traditionalists. And they looked down on those, those Gentile people in our group that don't practice the law. 
And even those intellectuals that, that, that kind of lean toward Apollos, we are the, the strict Jews. And here's the group that I really love. We follow Christ. I call these the super spirituals. They're not going to follow their youth minister because they follow Christ. They're not going to follow their pastor or their music minister or their senior adult minister or, or Andy, their retired senior adult minister. They're not going to follow you as your, their Sunday school teacher because they follow Christ. Doesn't that sound so pious and noble? Friend, by the way, when you follow Christ, you follow the human authority in your life. I learned that at a young age because I knew if I was going to live, I was going to follow my father. <laughs> but this was a group that was super spiritual. <laughs> we these people follow this, but we follow Jesus. Now, how does this play out today? Well, I think it plays out in those, in those. None of us are following Apollos or Peter, but we might have some that say, well, we know how they are at that church. We, we follow Jesus at this church. By the way, every church believes they are. Sometimes in churches, it's a, it's a young verse old. You ever seen that happen? And, and, and it's wrong a lot of times on both sides. The older people look at the younger people as young whippersnappers who are trying to change everything. And the young people look at the older people as people who are, are set in their ways and don't want to follow Jesus anymore. Young verse old. You see that? The groovy versus the non-groovy. The, the group that wants everything to be bells and whistles and the ones that think that if you have an air conditioning, you're sinning. You see, what happened, this is called, in, in, in real simple language, this is called spiritual immaturity. When, when you pick your hero, you, you pick your preacher, you pick your group, and you lift that up above really following Jesus, you're going to get in trouble. You're, you're going to get in trouble. You know, in, in smaller churches, what you run into is your family parties. I saw that pretty quick as a young preacher. You had this family and you had this family. And, and each, each family had their group of supporters. And, and that was the party. You've, none of you have ever seen that. But it's an interesting dynamic when you see that. You see, a lot of times what causes the problems is we get our eyes off who we're supposed to be following. And we start following good things, but not the right thing. And let me tell you why this is so wrong. Why division is such a terrible thing. Verse 10. That you agree with one another. So that there will be no divisions among you. And you will be perfectly unified. Again, that word division is the picture of a torn garment. It's the picture of a foundation with a crack in it. You see, guys, what happens in a youth group or in a, in a college ministry or in a church body? And I think we're going to see in a few weeks on Sunday morning in a family, in your football team, on your basketball team, with your cheerleaders group. What happens is when people start fighting, the Holy Spirit goes and sits in a corner. You quench the Spirit of God. So you can have church every week and God not be a part of it. Do you know that? 
it, it, it destroys your church. It destroys your youth group. Why would new people want to come to your BCM or your FCA if it's all clicked up and everybody's fighting all the time? It hurts the name of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 17, Jesus said, I pray, man, I'd love to have heard this prayer. God the Father, I pray that they will be one as we are one so the world will know that you sent me. You know what Jesus was saying? Lost people are going to look at us and laugh if they say we love Jesus and we're all about God, but we can't stand each other. They are going to run from that. And can you blame them? Our witness for Jesus Christ is at stake on this. When I first started pastoring, I was driving around in our community with a a man in the church on one Saturday. And we passed a guy, and and the the man I was with honked and waved. and, And I asked, who was that man? He said, he named him. And he said, well, he used to go to our church. So that's great. You hate to hear the word used to. I said, why did he used to go? You know, what's he doing now? He said, well, you, you've heard the stories about three years ago when, when we had a church split. He was a young Christian, and he didn't really understand why all these God-loving people didn't like each other and were fighting. And he just quit going to church. And he's not going to church anymore. You know, that's called collateral damage. You know what collateral damage is? Oftentimes it's used in the military where your target, you're bombing this group here, but shrapnel just happens to hit the group over here and kills them too. You know what? Whether it's friendly fire or collateral damage, dead is dead. I mean, is there any comfort in knowing, well, they killed me, but they were really aiming at the other people? You see, that's what happens when Christians fight, is not only do we damage each other, but the collateral damage is huge. You're part of this. We ag it on. We don't deal with it. And then we wonder when our kids are 30 and 40 why they don't want to go to church. Let me tell you, go back and look at your history. Why does your kid want to be a part of something that was always miserable? I didn't mean to hurt my kid. Collateral damage. You can't help but to hurt your kid. Man, I didn't mean to hurt those young Christians. You can't help but not hurt them. It's collateral damage. Just to use some plain language, when Christians divide up and can't get along, it hurts, it stinks, and it ruins. It's pretty good reasons why it's bad stuff. So I want to answer this question before we leave. What do we do? <clears throat> what do we do? And I want to give you a couple of things. I think the first is this. Never forget the importance of unity. You know, some things are worth putting on your mind and never letting them slip away. If you're serious about God, if you're serious about your witness, if you're serious about our church, your youth group, your BCM group, You're serious about them being really what God wants them to be. Unity is a must. It's not an add-on. I'm going to read them one more time. Verse 10. In verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may agree 
that there may be no divisions, that you may be perfectly united. That word united there literally is the picture of nets being mended. Now, back in Jesus' day when they fished, they didn't use a Zebco 101. They, they used big nets, and they would throw those nets out there. And if you had holes and tears in your nets, that did not lead itself to good fishing, correct? It, unity was mending those nets. It, this word unity also was a medical term, a medicinal term where a doctor set a bone and put the bone in the right place where it needed to be that was broken. Pretty important unity things. Again, I love in verse 13, is Christ divided, a rhetorical impossibility? No, he is not divided. See, what God would have you and I do, Josh, what, what you, what Wayne, what Clayton, what all of our ministers need to do, Carrie, what, what you need to do in your Bible study class, what our deacons need to do, what we all need to do is we need to never forget how important it is that we get along. Okay? Secondly, make sure your heart's right. Now, I want to say some things that I think are, are really significant, although they're not pr- pleasant here. Disunity... 98% of the time comes from heart problems. The people in Corinth weren't right here, spiritually. You can cut it any way you want. You can blame anybody you want. But the bottom line is, if there's constant bickering in your life, at home, at work, at church, a church that constantly fights, a business where there's constantly turnover, there is heart problems. One, you wonder if people are truly saved. Second, you have to worry about spiritual maturity. Thirdly, you have to wonder about how, how, how much are those Christians growing and becoming like Christ. The object of spiritual growth is to be like Christ. I want to tell you, Jesus, Jesus would have been the easiest guy in the world to get along with. Now, he would have shot it to you pretty straight. But he didn't use an axe. He was very loving. And when you and I, when, when we have unity problems, ultimately the thing here, the thing in Corinth, the thing here, it's a heart issue. One of the hard things is pride. Listen, when winning becomes more important than what's right, we're in trouble. You understand what I'm saying? You see, a lot of us, we're still in third grade in some ways. We're so competitive. We've got to win. And when your competitiveness is greater than your character, you will compromise your character to get the win. And see, you can win the battle and lose the war, correct? Well, I got my way, I showed them. Yeah, everything around you will sink. Here's something I know is true. I've never, I've never seen a godly person who was contentious. I've never seen a godly man or woman in 27, 28 years as a pastor, 30 years as a Christian, who was a troublemaker. And you know what? I never will. Can godly people make mistakes? Absolutely. Godly people correct those mistakes too. I'm not talking about people who make mistakes. I'm talking about people who live in those mistakes. Jesus said, blessed are the... 
peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Okay, it's a hard issue. And, and the last thing is major on the majors. Most trouble in the youth group and in the church body and among Christians happens because we major on the minors. Now, this may seem not, uh, like a minor issue, but look in verse 14 through 17. I am thankful I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. Sounds like a cereal there, doesn't it? So that no one can say that they were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the house of St- Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of all its power. Baptism's important, but baptism's not what saves you. Who baptized you is not important. Okay, I know I do a better job than Josh does, but still, you get baptized, don't you? See, most church troubles, troubles among Christianity, happen because we major on the minors. Okay, what are some uncompromisable things? Who Jesus Christ is, right? We can't compromise on that. Son of God died on the cross, arose, virgin born. One God makes himself known in three, three can't compromise on that, correct? Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. We can't compromise on that, Correct? Bible's the Word of God. Can't compromise on that. The color of the carpet, we can compromise on that. W.A. Criswell, the great pastor of First Baptist Dallas, said he went back to a reunion at his first church many years after he pastored there. The church had split. You know why they split? Over where the piano was. They didn't have an organ, but they had one group wanted on this side, one on this side, and the church split over that issue. You know what? God's not in that. God's not in that. Hymns and choruses, it's not worth fighting over. Major on the majors. There's a few things you never compromise on, but there's a whole lot of things you've got to say that's somebody's opinion, and that's Okay. I want to ask you this evening, what will we do with what we've heard tonight? Pretty tough stuff. But it made the Bible for a reason, didn't it? And it made the Bible because 2,000 years later, it's just as applicable as it was then. And Paul saw what was happening in Corinth, and he pleaded with them, stop it. See, right now, I think we have a very unified church. I could be greatly disillusioned, but I think we, we have a greatly unified church. We've got to protect that. First of all, tonight, if you're a Christian, maybe there's some stuff in your past that you need to get right tonight. Maybe there's some, some things that you've been a part of that you need to say, God, I'm sorry, and get it right. I want to challenge you to do that. Where you're standing in a moment or at the altar. Maybe this evening as a Christian, I think every Christian needs to say this, whether it's where you're standing or at the altar, God, with your help, I'm going to be a peacemaker. I'm going to be it in my home, in my business, and I'm certainly going to be it in your house. 
Maybe you'd like to join our church, or maybe you've never given your life to Christ. What a great night to do that. Let's stand, and as God leads you, you step out tonight and respond to Him. Thank you.